MSing About Productions presents MSing About, a podcast about nothing. I'm Ian Hayden, an award-winning comedy writer who happens to have MS, and as usual, I'll be messing about with my sidekick, Kara, pianist and singer Katrina Christensen. Hello, Katrina. Hello, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we get down to business... A little bit about our sponsor, Solace Sleep. Over to you. Solace Sleep is Australia's number one manufacturer of adjustable beds. Check them out at solacesleep.com.au. Thank you. I've got an adjustable bed. Have you now? It's lovely. Anyway, <laughs> before, before we get into this podcast, I'm not sure. Did you know that our dear 97-year-old friend Florence comes from the Taranaki region in New Zealand. No, I did not know that. And I looked it up and Taranaki got its first radio station in 1948 when Florence was 22. Mm. So I guess before then, in the evenings, they all gathered around the piano wishing to help someone knew how to play it. <laughs> oh, look, I, I know <laughs> I said I wouldn't do a dad joke, but somebody had to do it. Maybe they told each other old jokes. But before you and I hit the airwaves and perhaps even spin some fantastic black plastic for a sound that was around when you were closer to the ground, <laughs> ah, let's have a radio commercial from the good old days. <laughs> Back after the break. <laughs> That was your, your evening. Family sat around the radio, you know, as a family and listened to different programs and... Serials? Mm, serials and... Porsche Faces Life. Porsche Faces Life was on. I was married and had Sonia. In the 50s then? Mm. Grace Gibson, who set them up, she didn't set her company up until 1944 and then she made serials right up until the 1970s. Dr Paul... Dr. Paul, that was one of that those. Was at, that was at the same time. Yeah. It would be on every morning about 10 o'clock in the morning and Porsche Faces Life would be later. Anyway, Grace Gibson, mm-hmm. you've heard of her. Yes. She was a tall Texan and a pioneer of Australian radio. She set up Grace Gibson Productions in 1944 and she got an order of Australia for her services to radio and then died in 1989. And she was a force to be reckoned with. Can I tell you her story? Please do. She was born in El Paso, Texas in 1905 and her daddy was a redneck. He was a real redneck. He was a rancher and a taxi driver and he was a card-carrying member of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh. And he passed a bit of that on to young Gracie because if there was a black man in the cinema, she'd get up and leave. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh. But she finished a schooling in Hollywood and took a job as a secretary for this newfangled thing called radio where they used to put transcriptions onto discs and send them out to 
radio stations all around the country. And some bloke from Sydney who was managing a radio station, 2GB, I think his name was A.E. Bennett, went across to America to buy some programs and she'd moved into sales and marketing and flogged him a whole heap and he came back and went, Grace, you want to come over and work for me and set that business up in Australia so we can start flogging cereals off to all the stations going up around Australia. Wow. Of course, that's when they were happening in the 1930s. So she came over and she was the only woman in the world who was heading up a thing like that and she was probably Australia's only female executive in those days. There you go, a pioneer. A pioneer. And I think she made about 40,000 programs. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, I wouldn't mind 10,000 bucks for every one of them. Yeah. Uh, But the story was she went back to America in 1941 to buy some more programs and Pearl Harbor got bombed in Hawaii and there weren't any civilians allowed to travel across the Pacific because of the war. All right. So she was stuck there till 1944. Right. And it would have been longer, except she had a mate in Sydney called Frank Packer, Kerry's dad. Yes. What's his name's granddad, James. Yeah, James. And she was going out with a fellow called Ronnie Parr, who was the general manager of Australian Consolidated Press, which was Packer's company, and they made the Telegraph and the Women's Weekly. And Anyway, the two of them managed to wangle a berth for Grace on a merchant ship that was coming out. Yeah. And she arrived in 1944, married Ronnie with Kerry, not Frank. Frank is the best man. Right. And set up Grace Gibson Productions with this brilliant idea, don't buy American programs, let's make our own. So she started the careers of people like Peter Finch, uh, Rod Taylor, Michael Pate, uh, Ruth Cracknell. And in 1952, she made a television program, Australia's first television program. Yeah. And then went, no, there's still more money in radio and let Hector Hector Crawford in Melbourne start doing that. Wow. But she she did help Frank uh, buy the licence for Channel 9 in Sydney. Wow. So there you go. That's That's just a bit of old crazy. I've got another little story on Grace, though. Mm. When we bought Grace Gibson Productions, we also bought the manager, Reg James, lovely bloke, good salesman. He knew every program backwards, so that's why it was important to have him because I wasn't going to listen to 40,000 hours of bloody radio. Anyway, well, he started as a dispatch boy for Grace right. in North Sydney. And I don't know if you know Sydney, but North Sydney, then there's the Harbour Bridge and then there's the city. Yes, And there used to be radio stations in the city and Grace used to send Reg with the discs to go to and be the courier. And when he got a bus from North Sydney to the stations, he had to return with the bus ticket stub to get reimbursed because she thought he might nip across the bridge walking and ask for the bus fare. Tight as. Wow. However, when when he got married, you know what her wedding present was? Yeah. A, a tea towel? A tea towel. <laughs> a placemat? A placemat? No. It, it was a family home on the leaf, leafy north shore. Oh, of my Sydney. word. Yeah, and he lived there till he died in 2014. Wow. 
brought up all the kids there. So generous as, but as tight as. <laughs> oh, sorry to talk about me, but we also syndicated shows that came from Grace Gibson, like Chicken Man. Heard of him? No. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Rick, D, <laughs> Rick D's weekly top 40. Yes, I know that one. Okay. I used to listen to that. Dick Clark's American Bandstand. Yeah, right. So yeah. we did all those. And we had our own production company, Independent Radio Services, yeah. that syndicated programs to around 70 stations. Wow. And we made lifestyle shows like The Merry Medic, Dr. James Wright. Oh, you're from Rockhampton. You'll know yes. some of these. Oh, uh, Dr. James uh, finance segments with David Kosh. Yes. Your Day by the Stars. On This Day, Gardening with Graham and Sandra Ross. Uh, radio version of the TV show Getaway. Yes. And it was a win-win-win model. I'll bore you with the business model. Yeah, okay, go on. Okay. Stations had to pay the equivalent of one 30-second zone one radio commercial spot. So the bigger the station, the more money they paid. Zone one is breakfast or drive. That's where they charge the most. And we charge three a week, three zones a week, and you've got everything. So if you get one one sponsor for one show, you're in profit. Right. And the sponsors love to have something like like a travel agent would love to have a getaway or a chemist would like to have yeah or a nursery would like to have graham ross yeah that type of thing so that was the idea of it but the biggest one mm-hmm. was comedy because you okay. always had was had comedy in breakfast or drive mm-hmm. and we produced comedy uh, my first one i did was kevin trump private detective and then it was for the term of a natural life the adventures of the dilberries <laughs> How green was my cactus? Oh, I have heard of that one. And the year my country broke. But the biggest one in the 80s was the Samuel Pepys show. Right. And you wouldn't have any knowledge of this, but we recorded it just the way the Goon Show was recorded. We nice. had a live audience, 250 people, three microphones, one for each actor, yep. two musos, yep. a sound recording on a stage, and we mic'd up the audience and we recorded it live every Sunday. Yep. Then we cut down five sketches from it for broadcast Monday to Friday. Just little snippets that promoted the show but also gave a morning comedy for sponsorship. And then... I've got one such sketch here that I want to tell you about, Katrina. Yes. And I'd like to cast you as the voice. Oh, okay. There you go. Let's have a look at this. <laughs> look, 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 look at that. Oh. You're doing sound effects of paper <laughs> rustling. Ah, <laughs> oh, you are a radio, born for radio, doing Oh, it's that. all legit. I don't have a head for radio, though. <laughs> Come on, give me the sound effect of a script rustling. Oh, she's good. Okay. <laughs> Here you go, here you go. It just was a very quick one, and my direction is to do it quickly. All right, is it all on the one page? It should be, it's it's only a minute long. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, And action. Our Parliament is based on the British Westminster system, and it's all can very up, simple. Can I pull you up to do it again? Of course you can. Only because it's Westminster. What did I say? Westminster. Oh. <laughs> Westminster. And action. Our Parliament is based on the British Westminster system, and it's all very simple. It has to be, otherwise the Poms couldn't have invented it. This is how it works. 
Any politician who wants to sit in Parliament has to run by standing. He can stand to run and sit in either the upper or the lower house, but he can't stand and run to sit in both. That would be silly. But if he stands and runs and gets beaten, he has to step down and stand and run again and keep standing and running until he wins. Then he can sit if he can stand it. Now, after having sat for a while, he can rise, but he doesn't have to stand and run again because the sitting member doesn't have to stand and run to sit and rise for about three years unless he falls over. Now, all of this is not as easy as it sounds because while the politician is doing all this standing, running, sitting and rising, he has to lie until he's blue in the face. Oh, bravo. Very nicely done. Why, thank you. And on Sydney's 2GB, you've probably heard of these people, you've got to run with John Laws in the morning and John Tingle in the afternoon. Wow, yeah. double Johnny. Double Johnnies, double Johnnies. <laughs> and one day I was in the car when the that Parliament sketch was played by John Laws. Right. And he loved it. And so he played it again <laughs> and again and several other times that morning. Oh, I, I, I thought it was really weird. Anyway, Did Miss, you get money for each play? No. Oh. Mr, Mr Golden Tonsils, he's probably the most powerful man or was the most mm. powerful man in radio in Australia because sponsors and advertisers and listeners loved him. I've got another commercial. John Laws was two years old when this commercial was made. Two years old? We're for radios. It's for radios. Gosh, in and John Laws isn't young. No, this was the radio commercial in 1937. Wow. John Laws was born in New Guinea in 1935. Now comes the news that every radio listener has been hoping to hear. Now you can hear every program in your own home with such fidelity, clarity and perfection of tone as you would expect only in the studio itself. His master's voice achieves it for you with their new 1937 true-to-life radio receivers. Now, John Laws, you heard of Alan Jones? Yes. Alan Jones and John Laws didn't like each other very oh. much and at a peeing competition. They wanted to know who, who was the most important at the station, so they measured each other's offices because they, they wanted the same size office. Oh, oh not their Children. Pee. No, no, no. Well, it's sort of their pee. I can pee further than you. Yeah. So the, and, and have you heard of Stan Zamanik? Yeah, I have heard of he Stan Zamanik. He was a shock jock. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of another jock called Mike Carlton? Yes. Okay, those two loathed each other. Oh, right. And Carlton got into trouble. He, he got Stamanik's, Zamanik's widow in tears on the day of the funeral. Because oh. he was asked on air doing talk back whether he was going to the funeral. And he said, I'd only go to the funeral if it was an open casket just to see if he's dead. Oh, that's a bit rough. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah. Carlton... I can only recall one conversation with Carlton. Yeah. He used to do breakfast on 2GB. He used to do a Friday funny news review or something. I don't know what it was. Mm. So he, he thought he was a very good comedian. Had a big ego like all these radio people. Mm. And I was, we were just walking down the corridor on the way to the manager's office to take him out for lunch because we knew how to crawl. Yeah. And he just walked past us and glared. I suppose you think you were funny. Got another John Lewis story for you, though. Dave and I yes. wrote our first album. Our mate Dave. Our mate Dave. Oh, we, right. we, yes, we, yes. we put out, I think, seven albums. Okay, wow. And the first album was called Wind in the Wire. Oh, not Wind in the Willows. Not Wind in the Willows. <laughs> it's the, you know, the sound of the wind in the wire when you're out uh, at night and you lie down. There's 
the stars up above and you've got your swag and you, you, you realise now I'm going to have to go and lie out in the backyard to tonight. hear the wind in the to wire. Hear the, hear the wind in the wire. Anyway, we we were trying to work out how do we get this broadcast on radio. And yeah, we, right. were, we went, John Laws, if we write a song that includes John Laws in it, ah, there you go. I'll get up there point. for thinking, Ian. Absolutely. How did it go? Another miserable thing that we did. <laughs> Total failure, but oh, boo. but I've edited the song so you can have a listen to how we involved. Oh, I can't yours. wait. <laughs> well, you probably can. <laughs> Hang on, let me go and lie down <laughs> so I can hear the wind in yeah. the wire. <laughs> okay. He's the one in the middle, and he's everyone's mate. Cause he don't have to drive, and he don't have to open the gate. He's the one with the big grin and the small hat He's near the ashtray, he likes it like that He's the one in the middle and he's everyone's mate He's the one in the middle and he likes it like that He doesn't take much room, he's a very small chap He thinks it's beaut to ride in a ute It's a lot more fun than a car with a boot He's the one in the middle and he likes it that way He's the one in the middle and he knows his place And the boys on either side talk across his face They laugh at him as they open a tin And he sits there with a shit-eaten grin He's the one in the middle and he knows his place He's the one in the middle and he'll ride for mile after mile And he's the one with control of the radio dial Whenever he hears a song like this, he just reaches over and gives the dial a twist. Hello world, this is John Laws. Well, there you go, that was the song, and I've got one more DJ story to finish on. Okay, far away. Person you wouldn't have heard of. He would have been the Kyle Santalans of his day. Right. Ward Pally Austin. Yes, can't say I've heard of him. No, he's known as the Peter Pan of the airwaves. Peter Pan of the airwaves? Yes, he only wore white, wore white, wore a Confederate Army uniform. Oh, okay, two very extreme outfits. Oh, he hated black people, he was a racist. Oh, he's that's a, very nice. No, and... He was thrown off air occasionally for before having racist views. Right. Because he was outspoken. And profanity back in the 60s. Goodness. When he advertised a brand of motorbike, easy easy for me to say, when he advertised a brand of motorbike by saying, girls, do you want something hot and throbbing between your legs? I do. (laughs) Oh, God, you wouldn't have been allowed to say that in... I've said it within myself. <laughs> oh, you were thinking out loud. I'll buy you a motorbike then. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, you know, oh, okay. he'd get outrageously drunk and he'd go to bars and nightclubs and like the bourbon and beefsteak and go looking for a fight and get oh. dragged out into the street. And he, he was dating a 14-year-old girl when he was 31. There was something, something unsavoury about Ooh. Pally. Yes. Anyway, and they divorced in 1994 and two years later he went public in an interview about his new penile implant (laughs) saying he was ready for action again 
and he died two years later, age 63. <laughs> it imploded. <laughs> no, he died after getting drunk and falling down the stairs. Oh, no. And he had an Elvis impersonator perform at the graveside. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, I'm mentioning him here because it's time to wrap the podcast and I'm going to use the curious but catchy Ward Pally sign-off he used to use at the end of every show. And what is that? Uh, well, he used to use anytime you're ready, Pally, but he signed off with this, a Rickapootie and a Fandoogly. <laughs> <laughs> catchy, huh? <laughs> Just rolls of the tongue. Rickapootie and a Fandoogly. Mm, hooray. Bye. <laughs>